Tens of thousands of lives have been lost among Ukrainians and Russians. Countless buildings are in ruins. The landscape of eastern Ukraine has been ravaged by destruction for two years and there is no end in sight. In the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine on February 24th, 2022, the world has been rocked by a catastrophic toll of war. Just days before the anniversary, I listened to a female Ukrainian paramedic returned from the front line, from captivity indeed. The effect of war was obvious. Not just the physical injuries and the legacy of Yulia Pavelska's time as a prisoner of war. She is haunted by the conflict. It drinks our blood. The more you give, the more it wants. The impact extends far beyond its borders. The shock waves of the conflict have been felt in many countries, not just Europe. It has also disrupted global trade, particularly in energy and food markets affecting prices and supply lines worldwide. The whole map of European security has been redrawn. The continent is scrambling for artillery, global arms and ammunition. The European Union came together and NATO expanded. But now there are the first signs of splits. American support is wavering to the point of collapse. Two years after the beginning of this war, it has become certain that the reverberations of the conflict will be felt for years to come, and the foundation of the global world order is facing a major challenge. This is Beyond the Headlines, and I'm your host, Damien McElroy, the Nationals London Bureau Chief. I was attending the Munich Security Conference last week, and I've used the opportunity to delve deeper into the geopolitical, economic and humanitarian implications of this crisis speaking to former diplomats and analysts on the future of this conflict. Before we start, make sure to follow and subscribe to get all the new episodes as they come out. The second year of the war hasn't been less challenging for Ukraine. In fact, its counteroffensive has shown slow, if any, progress, and Russia isn't backing off either. Ukraine needed more support, and this month, Leaders of the EU's 27 members sealed a deal to provide it with 50 billion euros. For more on the current situation of the war, we hear from the Nationals reporter in London, Tim Stickings. So we're now two years into the war in Ukraine, and it's been through several phases in that time. At the very start of the war, of course, Russia tried to seize Kiev in a matter of days, but it failed and had to pull back. Then it tried to seize a large amount of territory in the east of Ukraine, and made a bit more progress, but its troops got very bogged down. Ukraine launched a counterattack and had some success in the south and east of the country. And for a long time, there was a lot of optimism coming out of Ukraine and its allies that Russia's tactics and intelligence and equipment were far worse than what had been expected, and that with the help of Western aid, Ukraine would be able to retake a large amount of territory when it launched a large counteroffensive last year. Now, as it's turned out, that hasn't gone as well for Ukraine as it had hoped. It has drifted towards what many people have called a stalemate, what experts like to call positional warfare, in which the fighting is concentrated around fortified frontline positions rather than a more, a more mobile conflict. And just recently, President Zelensky of Ukraine has drawn the consequences of that and sacked his top military commander, General Zeluzhny, who had also described the war as having been drifting towards a stalemate. And it's one of the first signs we've seen of Ukraine admitting that its war effort has been stagnating a bit. 
Now, that doesn't mean that things have been going particularly well for Russia either. Ukraine has had a lot more success in what's known as the deep battle going on behind the front line. For example, Ukraine has been able to erode the capability of Russia's Black Sea fleet, and that has gone some way towards easing one of the main knock-on effects of the war, which was the difficulty in getting grain out of Ukraine. Now shipping companies are more willing to go through the Black Sea since Ukraine has been able to open up more corridors. Russia has also lost about 3,000 tanks during the whole war, according to the most recent estimates. It's been able to replenish some of those by producing more in its factories and turning to old Soviet-era equipment. And it's thought that it might be able to sustain that replenishment for about another two to three years, although possibly at the cost of quality. Now, as the Russia-Ukraine war enters its third year, a new array of challenges to the global order are here. The West has another conflict to look at in the Middle East. So for how long can we keep counting on the West to support Ukraine? And for how long will Russia's military fight on? Tim elaborates on the points. One aspect of that is the Israel-Gaza war, which has certainly diverted political attention in the West. It's led the US to provide military resources to Israel, which then can't go to Ukraine. The US has also moved aircraft carriers to the Mediterranean. And any question of Israel entering the war or providing military support to Ukraine, which had been speculated about after Iran contributed to the Russian war effort, that's now out of the question. And the other big question mark this year is about Donald Trump who of course is running for the US presidency again and has questioned US support to Ukraine and US involvement in Europe and NATO more generally. Even now, merely as a candidate for the presidency, he's already influencing things because US aid to Ukraine has been held up in Congress while members of Congress loyal to him are reluctant to back that support. And if he were to become president again, it would leave a huge question mark about future support to Ukraine. World leaders, policymakers and experts from around the world gathered last week under one roof at the Munich Security Conference. They discussed the most pressing issues facing our world today and the Russia-Ukrainian conflict was a major topic. I had the chance to sit down with Ambassador Kurt Volker, who is a leading expert in US foreign and national security policy and was also the special rep for Ukraine and a former ambassador to NATO. He talked about the resounding commitment at the conference from Western nations to support Ukraine, both economically and militarily. The pattern of the war is people dug in defensively along this front line, Russia bombing Ukrainian cities and civilians every night, and the Ukrainians trying to take out the logistical supplies that Russia has to supply its forces in the field. I think that pattern is going to continue for some time to come. But Ukraine does desperately need the additional supplies of ammunition and other types of arms in order to keep holding that front line and in order to take out Russian supplies even more effectively, particularly, for instance, the Kerch Strait Bridge or some of the bridges that lead to southern Ukraine, which would make it much more difficult for Russian forces to operate there. So that's where we need to get to. And from Munich, let me just say, you know, we're, we're listening to a lot of things here uh, in Munich this weekend. I think the resolve of of the West, the commitment to Ukraine is as strong as last year, as strong as the year before that. It is, it is really, really very powerful. 
We've seen the European Union step forward with billions of euros for economic assistance, as well as plans for more in defense industry and defense production. The United States, I'm quite confident, will come through as well. The House has had a difficult time getting this to the floor, not because of Ukraine, uh, but because of differences over how to handle the U.S. southern border. But ultimately, I think that will get fixed, and I think we will see that American aid package come forward as well, and that will bring a lot of the military supplies needed. Ambassador Volker also talked about the Ukrainian advancements in areas like naval and air drones and how its proximity to Russia would always require a strong military capability. How NATO can continue support for Ukraine in this regard is a vital topic. Ukraine was already a leading country in the tech industry, even before Russia's full-scale invasion. That prowess in the tech area has actually helped them innovate in defense technology now, where, quite arguably, they are on the leading edge in some areas, such as naval drone technology or air drone technology, and doing it at relatively low cost as well. So this, I think, will be a comparative advantage for Ukraine. And they are also going to have to face the fact that living next to Russia for the rest of their lives, they're going to have to have a very strong military capability. And NATO needs to help with that. I also spoke with Dr. Benedict Frank, the CEO of the forum, about how Europe is stepping up to give its backing to Ukraine. He points out the challenge is overcoming the scarcity of arms production lines in the West itself. We are convinced that uh, supporting Ukraine with these resources uh, is the best possible use. And there is an enormous difference between the Russian economy and the massively bigger European economy. So is there fatigue in Ukraine and the countries supporting it? Gallup's Elana Ron Levy told of the surprising resilience of support for continuing the war. What we see in terms of the trends is that if you approve of U.S. and German leadership, as I mentioned, you're 7.7 times more likely to approve of NATO's leadership, and you're 6.5 times more likely to approve of the EU's leadership. So it's a, it's a very strong, positive um, relationship. And we can certainly pull for you changes in overall support at individual leaders' levels, but we see strong support throughout for NATO and EU leadership majority of NATO countries supporting um, the leadership of NATO. But again, we think that it's less because of foreign policy differences, but because of overall support for their own institutions and support for German and American leadership in particular. We specifically for Ukraine, what we can share, which I think is interesting, is just about Ukrainian support for their own countries, military and military intervention and fighting in Ukraine. And I think this data is, I think, very um, powerful for the topic at hand today. What we've seen in our recent polling is that 60% of Ukrainians believe that Ukraine and the Ukrainian military should keep fighting until Ukraine wins. And that is twice as many as those who want Ukraine to negotiate to end the war. We also saw in prior years polling that as Ukraine began its military battle with Russia, support for Ukraine's military and confidence in the institutions within Ukraine increased substantially. So you see a population in Ukraine with high support for their own leaders. Two years on and a diplomatic resolution of the conflict is as far away as ever. Indeed, in parallel, another devastating war rages in Gaza. 
peacemakers continue to press, but the war remains the greatest danger of our time. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. This episode was produced by Evan Burke, Victoria Pertuza, Doa Farid and Arthur Edison. And I'm your host, Damien McElroy. Please remember to follow and subscribe to get all episodes of Beyond the Headlines as soon as they come out.